live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas studios. Every race has winners. Come get your share. This is the Press Box. And it's neck and neck in the home stretch. The jockeys are tiny. The horses are big. Suspiciously big. Unnaturally big. Well, let's just say if you like your performance enhanced, we've got you covered. With Grady and Bischoff. Dramatically fewer fixed races. Not none, but that's why they call it gambling. On ESPN Las Vegas. We don't foresee any problems, but we'll admit it was a last-minute decision that didn't get discussed with the whole team. I really have no idea how to start the show today. I was thinking about trying to be creative, come up with something creative. Little juices in the morning. I you tweeted a picture of a colorized Ebbets Field. Yeah, see that's where I'm at this morning. (laughs) Good morning, because we're (laughs) tweeting photos of 1942 baseball. But it's colorized. Yeah, this is how it would have looked. Look at these things from the past. It's It's in color now. What is going to be? What's going to be our? Hey, this is a colorized photo in a hundred years. Like when we look back at photos from, is it going to be? Hey, we put this photo in motion or something like that? I mean, probably. We we've got a Tupac hologram. (laughs) <laughs> we made this photo 3D. I don't know. It's going to be interesting. But, yeah, it's a colorized photo of old baseball fields. That's what we're starting. That's where I'm at today. That's where my mind is today. <laughs> Ebbets Field in the 40s. Here's what it would have looked like in color. The well first bite. <laughs> were you encouraged or discouraged by Kevin Kruger's debut? Okay, more good radio. I have absolutely no idea. Because I do think... That I try not to, at least, and you know, you and I have talked about this for so long, and you've written about it in your blog. He had so many new faces, and this was such a new team. Like, I went into the season saying, you know what, I'm going to give them like five or six games because I have no idea how they're going to look. So, to me, as you build that chemistry and you find out what you have, if you can win while you're doing so, all the better. And they won the game, and I know you're going to go over some stats. But I can't say I was encouraged or discouraged because I just think they're so new. Their offense sucked last night. Oh, yeah. Okay, but I want you to tell me how you feel. Uh, <laughs> and it and here's the thing. My biggest concern is not even the three-point shooting, where they were two for 25 from three-point range, which is 8%. Uh, that's not going to happen again. They're gonna, not going to no. shoot 8% from three. Uh, but I still... It's a big question as to whether this team is going to be a good three-point shooting team. Like, they don't have many proven shooters on the floor. Michael Nuga, Justin Webster, and Josh Baker are really the only three guys that have any level of proof that they are three good three-point shooters. The rest of this team has either proven they're bad three-point shooters or just haven't taken many three-pointers. So, that's one thing, right? They shot poorly last night, and I don't know that they're going to be a good three-point shooting team. But my bigger concern is the same exact thing that was wrong with the offense last year. Who on this team can get to the rim off the dribble? Because UNLV played the first half last night. They had five layup attempts in the first half against Gardner-Webb, and three of those came in transition. So they played an entire half and got two layups in the half court. That's a team that they should be able to beat up. That's a team that they should have like their depth players able to get to the rim and create layups against Gardner-Webb, and their best players couldn't do it. Like Bryce Hamilton. See, he's the one I would think could get to the but rim. But he he doesn't. He's We've seen him for two years. He settles for the mid-range jumper. He does not get all the way to the rim. He doesn't. It's it's one of the biggest flaws in his game. But I think he, he could. He hasn't done it for two years. Like, he just he hasn't been a guy that gets a high volume of layups. He'll get to about seven or eight feet, 
and take a floater, but he does not get all the way to the rim. My biggest disappointment was Michael Nuka. This is a guy from Kent State who averaged 17 points per game last year, was a good three-point shooter, but also a guy that got to the rim and finished. Like He was finishing over, like I think it was near 70% at the rim last year, which is great for a guard. He didn't attempt a layup last night. Like Not even like he got there and missed. He did not attempt a layup. Michael Nuga did not beat his man off the dribble and get to the rim one time in that game. Donovan Williams is the potential like, hey, that guy could be your third scoring option on the perimeter. He got one layup attempt last night. Nice Euro step to get it. But like the second and third options are what I thought coming in were going to be the second and third options offensively. Neither one of them did anything on that end of the floor. Not one like impressive play from Michael Nuga and Donovan Williams had the one Euro step. That to me is the big concern because Gardner Webb's not good. Like this isn't one of the best teams they're going to play on their schedule. This is a team that everyone should be able to get to the rim and they couldn't do it. They could wasn't, not do it. Wasn't Bryce Hamilton's most important play at the rim. Yeah. He was very good in the last five minutes yeah, of the game. Scored 11 straight. Yeah, absolutely. He would that And that was like, we've seen that from Bryce Hamilton where oh, he, he can goes, take over a game. He goes on these five yes. minute stretches where yes. it's like nobody is stopping. Right. And he did that. He, and he got he got to the rim a handful of times in that game. He did, no doubt about it. But we saw it last year. You can't just have Bryce Hamilton as the one offensive creator on this team. And if that's that's what happened last night. He was the one guy that could create offense. And fortunately for UNLV, he actually started making his shots down. He was he was four of nineteen from the floor before the final five minutes of the game, and then finished off as hot as you can be. But that's like, listen, it's a new team. They haven't played together that much. Like I, I get it all, but I expected a whole lot more offensively. Overreaction Thursday is the streak in jeopardy. No, no, no. They'll no. never go a game without hitting. They'll them. shoot enough too. Yeah, like, and they're going to shoot enough. They shot twenty five last night, <laughs> despite only making two. <laughs> I mean, the streak is alive. All right, let me ask you this: because last year, and starting with Bryce Hamilton, a lot of the a lot of the critique was defensive efficiency and how good a defensive player he could ever become. They hold Gardner-Webb to .83 points on possessions. Was it, in your mind, more, wow? And we know what uh, Royce Ham did with the 17 boards, 8 offensive. Um, was it, on the defensive end, more it's Gardner-Webb? Or did you see something last night with defensive efficiency and how they defended that you're like, yeah, they aren't very good on offense tonight, but they're better defensively than I remember. They're athletic, and that's that helps, helps them a defensively, lot. sure. Uh, there were a couple of plays in that game where – you know, guys got beat or something or weren't in the right position, but they recovered. And like Royce, Royce Ham blocked four shots in that mm-hmm. game. And that a lot of that was cleaning up a guy that got to got the rim. Off the dribble. Yeah. So there, there's enough athleticism there that even if they have a poor defensive possession, they can often make up for it and still not give up a good shot. So that part of it, yes. The makeup of the roster, yes. The defense is going to be better. Gardner-Webb was 3 of 20 from three-point range. Like, that's also a team that was awful shooting the ball. You normalize that. UNLV is not going to hold teams to 15% from three. Most teams are going to hit 35% from three. And Gardner-Webb scores a lot more points. And then probably the bigger concern is that Gardner-Webb got to the rim against UNLV. Like, this this wasn't a case where UNLV shut the door and nobody could get past him. Like, Gardner-Webb took, it was 29 layups in this game. They didn't make a lot of them. UNLV had some good rim protections. They didn't make a lot, but Gardner-Webb got to the rim. Like, they were able to beat UNLV off the dribble. So, I'm more encouraged by the defense, and 
overall the numbers were good, but I didn't walk away from that thinking, oh, defense can carry this team to a top three finish in the Mountain West. 12 of 18 on layups, and my guess is Gardner-Webb didn't have the rim protector of Royce Hammond. They did not. They did not have Royce Hammond. They did not have Royce Hammond blocking four shots. Uh, So, I like, again, defensively, it, it was better than we've seen the last couple of years, but... You give up that many layup attempts, it's it's a bad sign because you're going to run into teams that can actually finish at the rim. Gardner-Webb's not one of them, and you'll lose that game. I mean, if, if Gardner-Webb could finish at the rim, they, they win, no doubt about it. Hamilton's 1-3 comes after a timeout when they drew up a play for him. This is, to me, why he was one of the – well, he's one of the best college coaches in the history of college basketball, Lon Kruger. And when I remember Lon Kruger being here. The one thing you always said is, man – they always got a good shot out of a timeout. Didn't always make it because you're not always going to make a shot. But every timeout, almost, I'd always say, man, they just got a really good shot from Lon Kruger. How do you think Kevin did last night out of timeouts? Uh, I thought the Bryce Hamilton one was the worst. There were The one he made. Yeah, I thought the the Bryce Hamilton made three. Okay. Bryce Hamilton is a bad three-point shooter. He is a career 30 or 31% from three in his career. uh, From three. And last night when he took that three, I think he was 0 for 8 or 0 for 7 before he took that three-pointer. Yes. And Kevin Kruger drew up a play for Bryce Hamilton to shoot a three out of timeout. That's not good. That that is absolutely not good. If we're talking about, hey, out of a timeout, the best thing you're trying to get is a Bryce Hamilton three, that's not good. Like, we know that guy's not a good three-point shooter. So I did not like that one. Now, there was... Two other times in this game where I did like where they came out of a timeout. One time they came out of a timeout. They ran like Marvin Coleman and Bryce Hamilton sort of did like a ball screen. But the whole time Royce Ham was posting up on the inside. They ran a play to get Royce Ham a post up against a smaller defender. And it worked. They got it to Royce Ham. He got a layup out of it. And it was great. So I thought he did better on other out of timeout plays. That one, it, it wasn't necessarily a bad play. Like the play worked. Bryce Hamilton got open. It's just. I don't if I I don't want my coach drawing up a play for a thirty percent three point shooter like that's just to me that's a that's a bad decision that's a bad idea it worked out because Bryce Hamilton made the three but that's just a bad decision like you shouldn't be drawing it up for Hamilton to shoot a three you should be drawing it up for Hamilton to have a good driving to have lane, a good driving lane not to shoot a three they're missing a few guys uh, Jordan, Jordan McKay didn't play because he apparently played in an unsanctioned event uh, in the NCAA I, I said, love those yeah <laughs> what does that mean. <laughs> Some like they I don't pick know, up one yeah, time in a gym like, you know, at Laguna Beach or something thing. like yeah, that. Exactly. So yeah, he played in an unsanctioned event. So Jordan McCabe will be back. Victor E. Walker uh, has an arm injury and didn't play. Uh, Victor E. Walker potentially starts as a center uh, if he's healthy. Uh, but yeah, those were the two main guys well, missing. James Hampshire didn't play, but I don't think he's going to factor in too much this year anyway. The other point uh, you and I've talked about a lot beforehand is who's going to be the point guard. They didn't have they one didn't to have start. A, they didn't start a point yeah, guard. Yeah, Josh Baker was the default point guard in the starting lineup. They did not start Marvin Coleman. They did not start the freshman Keyshawn Gilbert, and Jordan McCabe was out for a game. So I'm curious to see, does he change the starting lineup to put McCabe in, or do they roll with no true point guard in the starting five and just, you know, the, Coleman played quite a bit. Keyshawn Gilbert played quite a bit. I'm sure McCabe will get some time, too. Like, they have times where point guards are on the floor, but... They absolutely had moments where they did not have a true point guard on the floor. And that's interesting because last year we saw a team that didn't have a true point guard. And that was one of the biggest complaints from Otzelberger himself last year was about not having a true point guard. And Kevin Kruger rolls out there despite having options and says, hey, whatever, we're not going to play with the true point guard to start the game. So I am curious to see. I thought 
Josh Baker was fine in that role, but it's not like they were a crisp offensive team last night for it to be something amazing from Josh Baker. But yeah, I, who the starting point guard is, or if they even have one, it'll be interesting to see what they do going forward. I'm interested. Like I said, I mean, you see scores around the country, first nights of games, even teams that are, you know, bringing back a lot of players struggle sometimes with their first game. So I'm going to give them a few games. Uh, you're right. They're not going two of 25 from three again. Uh, they're not probably only hitting 12. I, I mean, they have a better chance of hitting 12 of 18 layups or even worse than two of 25 from three ever again. I mean, they, you know, they, 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 they do. I mean, th- think about it. Two of 25. They're going to be better than that. Um, we'll give them some games. Cal is next. Uh, interested to see that game. I think Cal just lost to UC San Diego. UC who's in their, San Diego. Who's UC San Diego, who's in their first uh, year of Division One yeah. ball, but still. Not not San Diego, the Toreros. No, they play them and not San Diego <laughs> State, but UC, UC San, San Diego. Diego. And lost by 13. Yeah. Not like, oh, like, uh, I think it was Nebraska lost yesterday on like a buzzer beating three by Western Illinois. Like, yeah, whatever. You lose a close game. They lost by 13 right. to a team that shouldn't be any good. So. UNLV might, like I say, you're not going to play many Gardner-Webs and get away with that, but... You might might, Gardner-Webb <laughs> might be coming in, but they'll be wearing u- different uniforms. Yeah. They might get away with it again on Saturday. All right, coming up next, we're going to jump into the Golden Knights. Do you want to schedule a parent-teacher conference after hearing Grainy's grades? Call the Press Box voicemail and let us know. 702-720-4678 and let us know who deserves a higher grade. Uh, they, they thought Wazi played it with his hand. Um, you know, I, I thought if it did hit his hand, it was accidental. And, I, and you know, I just made the point. Uh, I get that if that's a huge draw in one of the end zones. Um, but for that to be called in a, in a neutral zone uh, at that point in the game, I hadn't seen that in my entire time in the league. Um, so I just, I, I just made that point uh, as politely as I could. We're back to the press box with Grady and Bischoff, live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas Studios. Coming up in about 10 minutes, Jeff Erickson from RotoWire is going to answer your fantasy football questions. You can use our text line, 69187 is the number. To ask your fantasy football questions. If you don't know who to start, you got some trade questions, who you should pick up to play at tight end. Rogers or Hertz. Yeah. 69187 is the text line. Uh, text that number uh, with your message. Make sure you put ESPN before your message. Just the letters ESPN and then whatever your fantasy football question is. 69187 is the text line. Jeff Erickson coming up in just a few minutes. Now, the Golden Knights. Hey, this team's seven and six, Ed. They're rolling. Head they, above water till the boys come back. Yeah, they can't be beat. Yeah. Uh, did you see? So Pete DeBoer gave the quote yesterday or two days ago about um, this team's proving they're more than just 500 right now with the guys that they have out. Well, they're a game up. Yeah. They're a game above it. It's like <laughs> pump the brakes just a little. <laughs> they're proving they're better, Ed. Uh, but projecting out into the future, at some point, Jack Eichel is going to play for this team. And we assume that Max Pacioretty and Mark Stone are going to be healthy as well. Uh, the Athletics' Dom Luchizen went through and basically ranked by uh, goals above average, basically, uh, the best lines in hockey. And Pacioretty, Eichel, and Stone is projected to be the fifth 
best line in hockey. They would come in behind uh, the Kucherov and point line in Tampa, the McDavid line in Edmonton, and then a tie for first was the Landeskog McKinnon Ranton line in Colorado, along with the Marshawn Bergeron Pasternak line in Boston. So first off, Pacioretty, Eichel, Stone. Put those three together. Better than the fifth best line in hockey, or is it just the no, fifth best line in hockey? I think it's the fifth best line in hockey, and I don't think, I just don't think they're going to allow themselves to start any other way because I think in their minds are going to be like, all right, let's see if this line is as good as everyone says. We talked to Dave Shane earlier in the week. Would you would you start Eichel on the you know uh, third line and let Stevenson, who's playing really really well, stay where he is? I don't think that's going to happen. I think so much has been written and talked about Jack Eichel and how amazing he is that Pete DeBoer will start that top line when and if, well, not if, because I think he's going to be healthy eventually, but three months from now. I guess the only point I can make is, what if in three months from now, that top line is just amazing, and do you even want to break that up? I, st- I still think eventually that's the top line, because I just don't think they'll go away from that. What do you think what's the top line? If Stevenson continues to play really, yes, really well, yeah. and, and, they're, and they, you know, they're in the playoffs, or you know they've clinched a playoff spot, and they're just playing so well, as good as Jack Eichel is, that's that's the time I could see if he's ready to come back. Like, well, yes, he's great, but to break this up at this point, that could really mess things up. So here's my thought on the Golden Knights and how they should disperse their talent. I think this is a better team, when fully healthy, by breaking up the talent as much as possible. I do not think they should put Jack Eichel with Max Pacioretty and Mark Stone because... We have seen Patch Ready and Stone with Chandler Stevenson at center. That's been the the year that they got to play the most together. They were a top 10 line in the mm-hmm. NHL by expected goals rate, right? That line can be a really good line in the NHL. And the reason is, is that mainly Mark Stone, but throw Max Patch Ready in there too. Those two guys can control the play when they're on the ice together. You don't need Jack Eichel out there to help them control the play. Beyond that... Not as good, but the misfit line of Carlson, Marcia, So, and Smith. Now, there's a slight chance that one of those guys is not here once yeah, Jack Eichel deadline, is able to come back. We'll, UFA Riley, hello. We'll, we'll see how the Golden Knights manage the salary cap. But even if not, if at least two of them are here, again, it's not as good as Stone and Patchetti, but if it's Carlson and Marcia, so, or if it's all three of them, we know that that group is good. And you look right now, without William Carlson, Nick Waugh has been centering Riley Smith and Jonathan March. So he's got a goal and four assists in three games since becoming the center there. It's not that they're awesome, but they are a good line. That is a good line on the ice because Riley Smith and Jonathan March. are good enough to drive play without a dominant third player. And then you have Jack Eichel, who, if he is back to Jack Eichel, the, the great player that he was in Buffalo, should also be able to drive play without having Mark Stone on the ice or without having, you know, Jonathan Marcheseau on the ice with them. So in my mind, you keep Patchetti and Stone with Chandler Stevenson, you keep Carlson and Marcheseau together, and if Riley Smith is still around, great. And then Jack Eichel, you pair him up with Evgeny Dadnov and then just somebody else. And to me, I'm looking at three lines that all three of them are very good and dangerous as opposed to one line that is just a superstar line. Yeah. I'm not going to disagree with you. I just have a feeling when and when Eichel's healthy, unless again, I'll I'll preface this, unless 
they're in the playoffs. They've clinched a bid. They're just running, you know, running on full tilt like we thought they would all year before started getting before guys started getting hurt. And then you'd be like, now how can you how can you uh, uh, mix up that first line if they're playing that well? But if they're not, I just have a feeling he's going to say we've got to see this line together, much like the Boston line, the Colorado line, the Edmonton line, the Tampa Bay line. We have to see if we're just as good. And so here's what will be fascinating to me. It's not really as much about the regular season, but in the postseason, what specific matchups can drive what Pete DeBoer does with his lines? Because, you know, they ran into Colorado last year and they did a phenomenal job shutting down the top line, Nathan McKinnon's line. Like it was unbelievable how well they did in those last four games against Nathan McKinnon. That was, they they didn't have, they, that was stone and patch ready with Chandler Stevenson. Like that's, that's, what the combination was. They didn't have Jack Eichel out there. So I am fascinated to see, okay, whatever playoff matchup they get, they might need to put Eichel on the top line. They might mm-hmm. need to play Eichel, Patch, Ready, and Stone because they might need to say, hey, we've got to match, you know, Colorado's Colorado dominant nine line or Edmonton. Yeah. Or, hey, you know, we're struggling to score a little bit and we're just going to put our best players together and hope they carry us. Like there's going to be some matchups where it might be better off to do that. And, Maybe what's more likely to happen is within games. Like you might get into a game and, oh, you're down by a goal in the third period. You're only playing the Carlson line. And now Eichel's up with Stone and Pacioretty. And like, those are the only two that play the last four minutes of the game. That once you get in the playoffs, like the matchups will change and dictate that unless you just sweep everybody, but that's not going to happen. So there's options there, but I do think regular season and to start, I would keep them broken up. I I, I do think the way Wah is playing Gives you more comfort to breaking up all these lines. They've got they've got enough guys that are good enough to play with good players like a Nick Wall, like a Chandler Stevenson, right. that, that that it works right. That, that Nick Wall and Chandler Stevenson don't have to be the reason the line is good. They just don't screw it up and you know cash in when they're given the opportunities, which they've both been doing. So they've got enough guys to do that. That I think that's the way to go until you know they start losing or whatever. They're all facing elimination and then okay. Let's put the top two three lines together up there and, 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 and run go. them to death. Yeah. And let's hope that that line just dominates a game. Coming up next, Jeff Erickson from RotoWire joins the show. Fantasy football questions. Text them right now. 69187 is the number. Preface your message. Type ESPN and then whatever your question for Jeff Erickson is. Our stats hogwash. Are you tired of hearing Tyler do math on the radio? Tweet at Bischoff underscore Tyler and at Ed Graney. We thought we were ready, and uh, he thought we were ready, and our coaching staff, our players thought we were ready. We weren't, and uh, that's as flat as uh, any team that I've seen. Uh, And then we uh, basically played uh, what seemed to be lackadaisical. It's the Press Box with Graney and Bischoff on ESPN Las Vegas. Played like a what? What was that last word? Lackadaisical. Lackadaisical. The only thing that was missing was I was thinking about it in the shower. <laughs> Joining us now from RotoWire is Jeff Erickson. Uh, good morning, Jeff. So Odell Beckham hasn't signed anywhere. Packers, Kansas City, Saints are the teams that are out there uh, most likely to sign him. What's the expectations fantasy-wise if he does end up signing with, let's say, Green Bay or Kansas City? You know, I, I'd love to see him in Green Bay because then he got the best marriage of quarterback and opportunity. Um, I, I think if it's like New Orleans, I, I question whether Trevor Simeon or, or Taysom Hill can unlock him as easily. Um, 
in, in New England, I think they're playing really close to the vest with the rookie quarterback. Uh, maybe OBJ changes things. We don't know what version of OBJ we're really getting here, too. Uh, you're talking about a guy who is dealing with a third-degree shoulder uh, shoulder sprain. Hasn't made a big impact this year. Or, you know, obviously he's coming off the major knee injury from last year, too. You don't know what he has left in the tank. Sometimes these guys don't come all the way back, and that might be part of the issue. So I'd be most excited with the signing at Green Bay, probably least excited with New England or New Orleans. Uh, Seattle would be another intriguing uh, – landing spot for him, too. But, I, you know, I, I personally, if I have OBJ on a roster and I'm holding on this long, I'm hoping he lands in Green Bay. Well, let's go to another wide receiver. Deshaun Jackson signs here with the Raiders. There's no more Henry Ruggs. What would you expect from Deshaun Jackson? You know, I think that he's going to just run some verts. I think he's going to try to draw some coverage away that, so there's more open underneath. Every once in a while, they'll try to go deep to him. I think it's the same thing he's done for the last three, four years of his career. I don't see him being a target monster. I don't see him even being on the field for all but the most obvious passing situation. 69187 is the text line if you have fantasy football questions for Jeff Erickson. Text 69187. Make sure you preface your message with ESPN. Just type ESPN and then whatever your question is. So... You don't think Deshaun uh, Jackson's going to hurt, say, a Darren Waller or a Hunter Renfro or any other uh, pass catchers for the Raiders' offense? Not significantly so. Uh, he didn't hurt. He didn't hurt Cooper. Stuff. He didn't <laughs> hurt Robert Woods. That's the way I look at it. Um, I, I think that you know he'll, he'll hit the occasional deep ball. He'll take the top off the defense, and that's helpful. Um, but uh, you know, I don't think he's going to take a lot of. You know, uh, he has to get two negatives in twenty-four hours because he is vaccinated. Uh, it seems like the running back position at Cleveland this week could be a complete mess, uh, starting with Nick Chubb. What would you do here? Let, let's just say it is as big a mess. I mean, are they, you just stay away from Cleveland this week? Oh, I'd go get Darnest Johnson if you can. I mean, he proved in the Thursday night game against Denver that he can play. Uh, and it's not just Chubb. It's also Demetri Felton. Uh, you know, Kareem Hunt's still on the IR with a calf injury. They made a point of saying he won't be coming back this week. In fact, Kimberly A. Martin of ESPN was reporting he may not come back until December first. So uh, that that, they, that you know they're, they're, they signed Brian Hill to their practice squad, but it's going to be the, the Johnson show, I think. Uh, Cleveland's in an interesting spot right now because you know they, they lopped off OBJ from the roster too. So that, those are two potential vacancies. Although the way uh, Beckham is playing and not being used, and maybe it's only one that's really that you have to account for. Uh, first question from our text line again, 69187, is about Nick Chubb. Nick Chubb or Miles Gaskin? Well, you you have to make that decision tonight. That's the problem. I go with Gaskin. I don't think Chubb's going to play. I think it's probably less than a 50% chance that Chubb plays. So if those are your two choices, you got to go Gaskin. Uh, 69187 is the text line. Uh, pick one of these three, Rashad Bateman, Brandon Ayuk, or Tim Patrick. Uh, Patrick missed practice yesterday with a knee problem, so let's take him off the, uh, the equation there. Um, I'm going to go with a Bateman. I, I, I like the matchup a little bit better. Miami's not an easy matchup for pass catchers, but against the Rams and Ayuk, I think I'd worry a little bit more, because especially I know Ayuk's shown life the last two weeks, but I think this is a tougher draw for him. So let's, let's, let's go Bateman. It, it's not a ringing endorsement, though. Do you expect Kyler Murray to play? Just, just as before you guys called, uh, I got a notification uh, with uh, Kyler Murphy is feeling better than he's 
felt before. So <laughs> that, that's good news. Um, I, I, I need to dive. I'm on the road right now, so I couldn't dive into the details on that. But um, I think there's probably slightly better than 50% chance he plays this week. Uh, another question from our text line, Elijah Mitchell or Michael Carter? Mitchell or who? The, uh, the uh, Michael Carter with the Jets. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. We lose him. You got Uh-oh. us, Jeff? You there? Back. Mitchell, who was the second player? Mitchell or who? Michael Carter. Uh, I'm going to go Mitchell here. Uh, I don't like the matchup for Carter against Buffalo. Flexing Brian Edwards or Jared Cook? Um, I'm going to go Brian Edwards. I know he had the bagel. Boy, he had, yeah. I, you know, that's a, that's a uh, player who, you know, without – and you just said what Deshaun Jackson's going to probably be to them without rugs now. I mean, you'd expect him to step up, even though Waller and, and Renfro kind of seem to be Carr's favorites. Brian Edwards, to me, is interesting in that, you know, shouldn't this be the time now? I mean, shouldn't this be the time he gets more targets and kind of we can see whether or not he's, you know, as good as they believe he could be? I absolutely think that's the case. And, you know, last week was a tough corner matchup. Giants' corners are actually pretty good. The Chiefs' corners are not. Um, I suspect this will be a better uh, matchup for Carr, a better matchup for Edwards. And, you know, last week I I think it was a giant write-off. I mean, there were, no pun intended, uh, you know, there's so many things that were going on there, obviously. Uh, I I think it's going to be a lot different this week. 69187 is the text line. Devontae Williams or James Conner? That might I go split. James Conner. Okay. Uh, Conner's going to be the lead back. Chase Edmonds is out with a high ankle sprain. Uh, he's not going to be a, a full-on bell cow. I think uh, you'll see you know, Benjamin Jr. get some carries as well. But, you know, Williams is in a straight-up timeshare with Melvin Gordon. That's not going to change. 69187, preface ESPN. Robert Woods or Tyler Lockett? That's almost a 50-50 call. Uh, I'm, gonna, I'm operating under the assumption that uh, Russell Wilson is going to play, so I'm going to go with Lockett. Jeff Erickson with us from Rotowire. Uh, they are on a bye this week. After that, Justin Fields, is he playable in one quarterback leagues the rest of the season? Yeah, he's one of those guys where it's going to depend a little bit on the matchup. Uh, if you waited on quarterback and it's like Fields versus Tannehill, something like that every week, there'll be weeks where you'll use him. Uh, you know, he he really has flashed the last two weeks against the Niners and the Steelers, two tough opponents, and he's he's started to look pretty good. You know, Matt Nagy is still a, a drag on his production, but um, I, I do think that he, he's kind of exciting. Any update on James Robinson? Did not practice yesterday. After earlier in the week, they were saying, "Oh, he's probably going to come back this week." I haven't heard anything this morning yet, uh, but. I, he needs to practice for me before he's in my circle of trust. I mean, uh, I know they they were optimistic about this, but foot injuries always seem to linger longer than you think. Six nine one eight seven is the text line. Kyler Murray or Russell Wilson? No. Oh. Uh, well, I, I I think you have to wait until uh, you know Saturday Sunday to make that decision. But right now it'd be Wilson. But you know he seems like he's got a better chance to play than Murray. Uh, one more from the text line. Uh, fun with the Philadelphia Eagles backfield. Gainwell or Howard? Yuck. Um, <laughs> I go Jordan Howard. It's the year of 2021, and we're saying Jordan Howard. It's kind of crazy. I, I think here's the thing. The Chargers make any back look a lot better than they are. Uh, that's not going to be the case this week with Denver. Um, so, I, you know, 
I'd almost even look for Eno Benjamin over both of them this week. I, I, I'm not that optimistic. Hertz or Rogers? <laughs> uh, thanks, Jared. Um, I'm going to go. I'm going to go with uh, Rogers this week. All right. There's Jared. Jared, you got any other questions? You got any streaming defense questions you want to ask? <laughs> No, no, no. Uh, I'm I'm sticking with the Patriots because uh, half the defenses I want to run by. Okay. All right. Well, thanks for helping Jared with Hertz and Rogers every week. He is Jeff Erickson from RotoWire. Jeff, as always, we appreciate it. Thanks, Jeff. Be careful. No problem. Take care, guys. Have a great okay. day. RotoWire.com. Hertz or Rogers? <laughs> Has any of the advice on Hertz or Rogers led to wins? Yeah, I I literally <laughs> I haven't lost. You haven't <laughs> lost since you asked the same question to Jeff Erickson every week. Right. <laughs> Has it ever been Hurts other than Rogers having to buy or COVID? Uh, I think there was one week. Like was there ever like a matchup where they both played and he actually went Hurts? I think he did. Yeah, I think he okay. gave Hurts out as one of them. Because I mean, Jalen Hurts had a couple of games early in the year where the fourth quarter he'd just be like, All right, I'm gonna throw for three touchdowns yeah. now. This is gonna be great. But he's a perfect garbage time fantasy quarterback is what like, Jalen Hurts. Blake is. Bortles got people to their fantasy championships because <laughs> we're down by forty. Yeah, exactly. Time to, to start throwing. shucking it. Coming up next, it's college football. We're gonna have a breakup of the power in college football makes a call, they'll snap it back to Pierre Strong Jr., who throws a pass to a wide-open Tucker Craft. Do you believe it? We're Touch back to the press box with Grady and Bischoff. What was that? That would be a trick play by the Jack Rapids against SDSU. South Dakota, South State. Dakota State. But the Jackrabbits are South Dakota State. <laughs> no, they're... Oh, yeah, sorry. That's South Dakota State versus North Dakota State. They did a direct snap to the running back who threw a pass. So what you're saying is there was great audio highlights for you to sift through this morning. I, you keep putting this college football thing in the rundown. It's a good story. On a Thursday. Yeah, it's a good story. And it's story. like, okay, did the Patriot League play? Don't they normally play on Wednesdays? Let me go look. Oh, it no? Okay. FCS. It's a good story. Uh, so, AP has a story on college football and basically the power here. The NCAA cut its constitution from 43 pages down to 18 pages. And basically, this could be paving the way for the NCAA to hand over most of the power in college athletics to the actual conferences and schools themselves. Uh, the West Virginia athletic director was quoted as saying there's a huge gap in division one with schools roughly with $175 million budgets and schools with $4 million budgets. A lot of times we've tried to legislate, legislate from an equality standpoint is there possibly a new division? Is there a division four? Do some schools break away and make a division four? And what is the membership requirements? So what happens here? Is this, the, is this step one of us having actual uh, breakaway of the power yeah. conferences? I think we're now going to get into the super conferences, power conferences. A couple things stood out. 43 to 18. This is the first time in, I don't know, 25 years. Good job, Mark Emmert. Because... <laughs> Anytime you can reduce that weird rule book they have, uh, it is a good thing. Two, $175 million to $4 million. We now know why Desiree made the jump uh, from one school to the next. 
And I think this is what this is. I think the rich just want to get richer. They are tired of sharing any kind of revenue with the small schools. I think Emirate knows that. Now name, image, and likeness and everything is coming forward. And I'll tell you one thing. The NCA says in this that name, image, and likeness, they put it in this in this 18 pages, that schools are not going to be able to play, play pay players uh, directly. I'm not so sure in the future that won't be the case. Yeah, I just think will. if the, the top Division One schools, the Alabamas and the SECs and the Big 12s jump over the NSA, I think they ultimately do that. And if the NSA box at it, they'll just go form their own division and say, see you later. And so from this story, it would provide Division One the autonomy to reshape everything from how revenue is shared to how rules are made and enforced. How revenue is shared. A, that's a horrifying sentence for a group of five schools. Oh, right? it's brutal. How revenue is shared. They're already not getting They're already, as they don't much get money. enough. They don't get anything anyway. But you could effectively have the power conferences say, well, the NCAA tournament, we're going to take even more money from it than we do now. But also, like how revenue is shared, it, if you're giving them that autonomy, they absolutely can step in and say, well, we're just going to pay name, image, and likeness out. Sure. We're just going to pay whatever quarterback yeah. to put him on a billboard or something like that, yeah. just in an. Alabama jersey or whatever team it is like absolutely they could do that and there's no real I don't see any real problem with that either like I don't think it's going to change much what would be your level of interest because it always comes back to the NCAA tournament and the NCAA that's kind of their darling they make billions of dollars off TV revenue even though I would make the argument if there's a split like this and the power conferences say you can take us or them now you're going to go with the power conferences because you want the best teams what would your level of interest increase or decrease if we have this split and the power conferences say, all right, you're going to push on us uh, in terms of the revenue sharing, we'll make our own NSA tournament. The heck with you. I mean, interest would be less from me personally. I would still watch it. Uh, you still, if you still have That's a the point, you'd still turn yeah, it on. If you have whatever be 32 team power conference, yeah. only national championship tournament. I'm still watching, uh, but I'm significantly less interested. Like I, am I filling out a bracket for that? Eh, maybe not. Is there, are there bracket pools for the 32 team only power five tournament? I think there's significantly less interest, but I like college basketball and I, I'm going to tune in and watch, even if there's not smaller schools to try to go get it done. The question with that though is, man, I know Bob Huggins just gave the quote not too long ago about he wanted to break away and say, screw the NCAA tournament. Let's do our own. But like the number one team in the country right now is Gonzaga. Like I know there's not a lot of them, but there are enough competent to great non-power conference basketball teams that like you really going to have an NCAA tournament and declare a national champion and Gonzaga's not a part of it right now. Like there, there's enough teams that, that you can look at it and say, well, eh, are we really doing this without them. Right? right. So I would be surprised if there's not a way they keep the NCAA tournament. Like if, if they break away, if the power conferences break away and say, yep, we're doing this on our own. We're doing our own thing. You think it's for everything but basketball? I think so. I think like, yeah, because you can tell group of five, hey, we're going to do our own national right. championship. You guys can do your own thing too. You can claim your own national champion. Um, I think they would still say in basketball, you're all in. Well, in a lot of shot. Olympic sports, I don't think they'd care. I mean, no, watch I, the softball tournament every year. It's the power schools. Yeah. It's the power schools. Baseball, you know, sometimes you get the Long Beach states and you get schools like that, but I don't think that would make a difference to the power schools. But you're right in basketball. I, I didn't think of that example. I mean, the the Gonzaga plays in the WCC. It's hardly a, a power conference. Right. And I don't even think fairly you could just say just Gonzaga. 
I don't no, think you, the, you couldn't the, dismiss the rest of yeah. the conference because there might be, I don't know, one year, 40 years from now that Gonzaga isn't the best team in the WCC right. and it's San Francisco. Yeah, there have been, I mean, hell, Loyola Chicago was right. was a great team this past year, right? And it, they didn't factor into the national championship, but you've had teams like Butler go to the sure. national championship, VCU, like there's enough good teams outside of that. What would actually be funny uh, it would be terrible for the rest of college basketball, but what would be funny is if the power conferences broke away, formed their own tournament, and they were like, all right, we're going to take the 28 best power conference teams, and then we're going to have four at-large spots, and we will invite four other teams to play in this. Gonzaga, you are automatically <laughs> yes. in every year. <laughs> Which is... I mean, I don't think that's preposterous. I don't though. think it is either. I think that's very likely. They could sit down and say, listen... We can't have this tournament without the Gonzaga. number one team in the country. Right. So we're going to guarantee large spots. Yeah, we're going to guarantee 28 spots for our teams. Or hell, they right. might just do them all and say, yeah, everybody's in 64, and we'll have four extra group of five to right. play in to get in. But yes, Gonzaga's yeah. in a play-in game. <laughs> number one team in the country. You're playing Wednesday night in Dayton. Yeah. But we're gonna we're gonna give them a shot. Gonzaga's they got to win three games to get there, but we're gonna give them a shot to get in. Like. I don't think that's out of the realm possibility, but I do think ultimately the NCAA tournament would stay intact for the longest of anything. But I do like you read those quotes, the West Virginia AD being like, listen, we're trying to make rules. We make 120 million a year. UNLV is making like 15 million a year. How the hell are we supposed to compete or how, how are we supposed to make rules that govern both right. of those schools? I understand why power conferences want to break away, and I, I think it happens if, if they get the autonomy to do Between so. Between the AD and the basketball coach, it appears West Virginia wants nothing to do with UNLV. <laughs> <laughs> They're like leading the charge. If you know that UNLV school out there, they don't do very much.